It's Friday, April 3rd. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. When news broke that COVID-19 had hit the U.S., many of us were told, don't wear masks. Now the U.S. government is reportedly reconsidering that advice. We'll tell you why. Then the unemployment data for the month of March is out. And well, it's complicated. We'll break down what the numbers mean. And finally, why movie stars are now auditioning for the role of beloved school librarian. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Okay, the COVID-19 pandemic is a rapidly changing story with lots of moving parts. And we're going to help you sort out what exactly you need to know, starting with the three big developments of the day. All week long, we've seen reports that the Trump administration might start telling you to wear a mask. And here's why that's a big deal. When COVID-19 first came to the U.S., the CDC told us not to wear masks unless we were sick. That's what their website still tells us to do. In February, the U.S. Surgeon General felt so strongly about it, he tweeted, quote, Seriously, people, stop buying masks, end quote. That was in all caps. Flash forward to now, and social media is full of tutorials about how to sew your own masks. Mayors in L.A. and New York City have urged people to cover up. So what's changed between then and now? There's a lot of reason to think that the initial message to not buy masks was really about saving them for those who need them most. We're talking about healthcare workers, many of whom, as we've been seeing in recent days, are reusing masks. What this comes down to is supply chain concerns. We told you yesterday about how the U.S.'s secret supply of medical equipment, including masks, is running low. States have been trying to buy their own masks, but say that isn't going too well. So it makes sense that if there are only so many to go around, nurses and doctors get them first. Another thing that we know now that we didn't know then, just how contagious people without symptoms might be. Earlier this week, CDC Director Robert Rudfield told WABE in Atlanta that as many as a quarter of infected Americans are asymptomatic. That's important because now you have individuals that may not have any symptoms that can contribute to transmission, and we have learned that, in fact, they do contribute to transmission. He said that's one of the reasons why his agency is reviewing its face mask guidelines. To be clear, the federal government is considering telling people to wear non-medical masks. That means things like bandanas and homemade ones. This would mean that N95 masks, the coverings that can filter out most small particles, would still go on to healthcare workers. In a matter of weeks, the debate over face masks has done a 360. The discussion now is less about if they work, but about who should wear them. And increasingly, as more data points to transmission among asymptomatic people, health officials are saying that answer could be everyone. Our second headline today involves jobs. Who has them and who doesn't after just a few weeks of this COVID-19 shutdown? We talked about new unemployment claims on yesterday's show and on last Thursday's show. That's because every Thursday morning, we get a little snapshot of the number of people filing unemployment insurance claims. But today we got a much bigger and more detailed look at the job situation. It came from the latest monthly report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and contains that big number a lot of economists and politicians like to cite. The unemployment rate, i.e. the percentage of Americans out of a job. 
Today, we learned that that new number is 4.4%, an increase from 3.5% last month, which is a little surprising. Because a few days ago, we were hearing projections that unemployment could hit 15%. So if this 4.4 number is all the effect COVID-19 is going to have on jobs, then why was this the response on TV this morning? The March jobs report is out, and it is not good. These numbers are grim. We knew it was going to be ugly, but it's even worse than expected. Here's why today's new numbers are still so bad. First, while the data is technically for the month of March, it was actually based on surveys conducted in the middle of the month, before states forced a lot of businesses to close and a lot of people got laid off. Some big states like Georgia and Florida are just putting their big social distancing restrictions in place today. So we're going to need to wait another month to get a better sense of COVID-19's impact on the job market. And there's another reason why this jump in the unemployment rate is bad news. Just small changes in the unemployment rate have huge effects. Martha Ross is a fellow at the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution, a think tank. An increase of almost one percentage point in one month means that something big is happening. In fact, today's unemployment rate increase was the largest single-month increase since the recession of 1973 to 1975. And not all increases in the unemployment rate are created equal, meaning sometimes the most affected groups are people on Wall Street who have more of a financial safety net. But even early data shows this rise in the unemployment rate is hitting an especially vulnerable group of Americans. So retail clerks, janitors, housekeepers, food servers, cooks, these are folks who probably are not going to have paid leave. They're probably not going to have health insurance through their job. They cannot telework. It's the nature of the beast with that job. So if they don't work, they don't earn. And that happened to them very abruptly. We've got advice on how to file for unemployment, as well as resources for how to stay financially healthy on our website at theskim.com slash COVID updates. Which brings us to our third big story of the day. Earlier this week, the news practically sailed into our backyard just a few blocks away from Skim HQ. A glimmer of hope and a grand welcome for the U.S. Naval Hospital ship Comfort. The sight was monumental. It's always cool to see a big ship on the Hudson, but never as cool as this. Comfort is really redefined in this time we're living in. The USNS Comfort is a 1,000-bed floating hospital that, in a past life, was actually an oil tanker. And when this huge ship sailed into New York Harbor this week, there was a lot of fanfare. Maybe even a little too much. Here's Captain Joseph O'Brien, the mission commander on board the Comfort, who we spoke to yesterday. So I know there, were, there was a social distancing issue on New York side as we were pulling in, and we were fighting the same things on board here because everyone was trying to get a look at New York and excited about being here and doing their job. One reason the Comfort's arrival was so, well, comforting, is that New York really needs more hospital beds. Hospitals across the Big Apple are struggling to keep up with the number of patients amid the COVID-19 outbreak, which is going to get worse soon. Comfort's mission is to take uh, excess patients from New York City hospitals, non-COVID-19 patients, and uh, provide some relief for the hospitals. That's something other field hospitals are doing, too. But over the last day, since we talked to Captain O'Brien, there have been a lot of reports pointing out the number of patients actually getting care on board the ship. 
Yesterday, one New York hospital official alerted the New York Times that the process of actually getting patients to the comfort was way too complex and going way too slowly. The Navy even confirmed that as of Thursday, only 20 patients were on board the ship. So what's going on here? For one, the comfort was originally built to treat soldiers injured in battle to help get them ready to return to the fight. The ship actually helped play that role during the Iraq war. O'Brien had pointed out the ship's intensive care unit is basically one big room, not so great for social distancing, and that many of the ship's hospital beds are actually bunk beds. O'Brien also told us yesterday that when the Comfort first showed up in New York, they put a bunch of restrictions in place to make sure COVID-19 didn't spread to the crew and whatever patients were on board. We also screen every single person who comes on board the ship, uh, following the CDC guidelines and using uh, take their temperature, make a questionnaire, all that good stuff. And then patients who are coming are tested for uh, uh, COVID prior to, uh, to coming. So all of that appears to have caused a bottleneck in getting patients to the ship. Well, today the Defense Department said it was relaxing some of those rules. As much as hospitals wanted to send non-COVID patients to the comfort, it seems the process of actually transferring those patients to the ship was taking way too long. The Navy now says it's going to streamline the process of clearing patients to board the ship, which should help relieve some of the backlog local hospitals are dealing with. Things might be on track. The Navy told us that as of midday today, they've still seen 20 patients. But this morning, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said he's convinced the ship is going to get busy. Uh, I'm sure that ship will be very full soon. But this incident is spotlighting the pressure local and federal officials are feeling as they try to figure out how to manage these outbreaks and coordinate resources. All sorts of organizations, from religious charities to even the military, are racing to set up field hospitals across the country to reduce overcrowding in permanent hospitals. Many of the big field hospitals you're hearing about in convention centers or city parks were originally designed to treat people without COVID-19. But as the number of COVID-19 cases skyrockets both in New York and around the country in the coming weeks, more and more people are gonna need intensive care. So priorities are changing. Today, the Defense Department agreed to accept COVID-19 patients at New York City's Javits Center. So get ready for more debates about whether any hospitals, on land or at sea, can afford to choose who gets the care they need. And things are changing very fast. Next week is what worries me. That's when things really jump off and we're gonna need the comfort and every other uh, place in the city that we can get hospital beds up and running because we're expecting a huge surge just in the next few days. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other puzzle games out there. It's a fun escape from the everyday. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Okay, we're pressing pause on the latest developing stories to talk about celebrities reading books for a good cause. Two weeks ago, as more schools started to close and as families started holing up together and figuring out how to keep their kids entertained, actresses Jennifer Garner and Amy Adams had an idea. I am going to read 
Big Red Barn. I am going to read The Dinosaur Princess. I love this book. They launched a new Instagram account where they and a bunch of their famous friends would record themselves reading children's books. They posted over a hundred videos so far. There once was a beautiful kingdom. Once upon a time. The account is called Save With Stories, and it's a partnership with the nonprofit organizations Save the Children and No Kid Hungry. They've set up a fund to directly address the food shortage and educational needs of kids affected by COVID-19. All you have to do is watch our stories and please consider donating. You see, this is about the long-term impacts that this pandemic could have on kids later in life. We're concerned that wide-scale learning loss could be among the biggest and longest-lasting impacts that coronavirus has on kids in America. That's Betsy Zorio, the vice president of U.S. Programs and Advocacy at Save the Children. She says that 95% of schools across the country have closed. And that means so many children are both out of school and as a result, they're losing access to nutritional opportunities. 30 million children in this country rely on school for both learning and food. Save With Stories videos encourage people to donate and that money is going directly toward food and educational supplies for those kids across the country. So if you're looking to cuddle up with a good book this weekend while learning more about Save the Children and No Kid Hungry, check out at Save With Stories on Instagram and maybe even record a story of your own and tag the account. The end. Thanks for reading with me. Or is it just the beginning? No matter your situation, sometimes you just need to press pause. And every week, we're sending out an email with some of our favorite things to help you take a break. To sign up, head on over to theskim.com slash press pause. And that's all for Skim This. Remember, we want to hear your shout-outs. Maybe it's a message for a friend working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic or a loved one who you can't physically meet up with right now. Give us a call at 646-461-6370 and leave us a voicemail. For more updates throughout the day and over the weekend, follow us on Instagram at The Skim. 